0: Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live episode of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Of course, part of the 90-min football family. He is back. The main man, Mr. Mike Stavrou returns after a long-term absence, long-term injury. And um, I thought that I had the most overgrown beard in the Arsenal <sighs> podcast space at the moment, but it looks like uh, you're rivaling me there, Mike. How are you doing, mate?
1: This is sh- This is short for me, mate, but... I'm, you know what, like speaking about the beard thing. I, I know you mentioned it that you wish you cut it before you saw the king. Uh, yeah, I was so jealous, man. Like, what was it like?
0: Um, I, I'll be lying if I said I stood there and had a conversation with him. Um, I was, I was like an eight-year-old schoolgirl. <laughs> Hi, Thierry. Like, I'm a big fan. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was just, you know, when your voice goes all high pitched because you're yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you go to take a picture and your hands shaking because. You know you're you're nervous about it, but he was he, he looked trim enough to play. He looked like he could have started up front for the Arsenal, and it would have been absolutely fine. It was really surreal. Um, Alan Shearer was in the room as well. Ali McCoyst was there, who I've spoken to a bit because I've, I've done a fair few bits on Talksport with him. But yeah, um, Roberto Martinez was there as well. And when I sort of came out of the room, having like spoken very very briefly to Thierry Henry, got a picture with him, whatever, I kind of thought to myself. Should I have asked Alan Shearer for a picture as well? And Roberto <laughs> Martinez. Like, do you think were they, they was, there when you did it? They were, were literally they there? right there. Like, do you think they were sitting there going, "What about us, you absolute twat"? Like, are we <laughs> probably, movies? yeah, probably. But, you know, it's Thierry Henry isn't it. Yeah, it's Thierry
1: Henry. It's Thierry Henry, man. Like, I, I, he is. You know, I've interviewed a, f- a few players, not not as many as you, but um, just the chance to to meet Thierry is is it's on my bucket list uh it's got to happen at one point i think him slightly above righty but those those two are like my 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 top two i think if i and it's the same like if i if i met him i'd just melt like i wouldn't know what to say yeah
0: but i I get the impression that righty would be just a little bit more and i'm not saying thierry henry wasn't friendly or wasn't like welcoming or anything like that he was um you know and and the guy was working like he he was in the room was getting prepared to to go and do a broadcast, whatever, you know, I'm not, I wasn't expecting him to stand there and and conversate with me for an hour or whatever, but yeah, it was just, yeah, it was surreal. And um, obviously the night was topped off by Declan Rice's uh, of course winning goal. I mean, just before we, we go into the Kai Havertz topic, which I really want to do in depth because we've been speaking about it throughout the day via WhatsApp. And I thought um, it would make a really, really great podcast topic. But what have you made of or what did you make of of what we saw unfold in front of us last night? Because I tried to do like a bit of an instant reaction pod. We we put it out late last night and I just couldn't gather my thoughts. Like I was jumbling my words up straight after the final. So I was just all over the place because emotionally they took us on one hell of a ride.
1: Yeah, it was a bit of a throwback to last season. I think we had a lot of those games where we had to expend so much energy and we put so much emotion into it. Um, because that's the way we kind of played at that time. We we relied on blowing teams away. Um, and this season has not been like that at all. And we'll come on to, you know, reviewing this season in, in more depth later on. But um, it's it was a complete far cry from, from what we've seen this season, which is why I think it was so mad, um, you know, giving the goals away, individual errors, um, but coming back and scoring straight away, but also playing some really nice stuff. I mean, the biggest shot for me, Harry, is that... and. When I saw, look, I'm, I'll be honest, I've not watched a lot of Luton games this season. Um, but I looked at them, they had what they've still got nine points from 14 games, uh, something, something like that. I was expecting them to be rubbish and I was expecting them to be like how easy it was to play against Sheffield United and Burnley. I know it's different because those two were at home, but I was expecting the, the quality of opposition to be like that. But to be fair to them, like they made it quite a tough game, and I know they scored, um, you know, two set pieces and one goal that shouldn't have gone in. Um, but, you know, they, they challenged us well. They were high energy. The crowd got behind them. They, they created a few chances here and there outside of those goals. So I was a little bit surprised um, by them and by us, really.
0: I think one of the things that I have to stress, and I did make this point on the instant reaction, um, was the quality of the atmosphere. It was just incredible. It's as good an atmosphere as you'll experience in the Premier League. And it's not a big ground, Kenilworth Road. It's a very small ground. It's a very intimate setting. The fans are basically on top of the pitch and the Luton fans, they're a loud bunch. And you might even say, as an Arsenal fan, they can be a bit of a horrible bunch in that they'll cheer every single challenge. They'll give every single one of your players stick and all the rest of it, you know, that's what they do that's how they try and sort of level the playing field and I thought they did a really good job of that the supporters in terms of making it a hostile and intimidating environment I do think Luton crossed the line a little bit in the first half in particular with some of the challenges I did think that they tried to be competitive as you'd expect combative and all the rest of it but I did feel like and I don't know what you think that the referee maybe just let a little bit too much go in that sense in the first period, and once he showed a few yellow cards towards the end of the first half, I thought he, he finally got a little bit more control of it.
1: Yeah, the left back in particular, um, and Alfio Yeah, yeah, we've we've come to expect this that teams will target Saka, um, but you know the 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 sort of strength that they were using in the tackles when you know there's some. Balls that are, that are 50-50 that, that, that you go into a bit strongly in, in games like this because, you know, your, your manager's told you to be aggressive. and Let them know, you know you're there. Let them know you're there, all of that sort of stuff. You know, get in early, sort of, you know, rattle them, whatever it is the, the manager will say. But, like, Saka, a lot of the time when he receives the ball, has his back to the defender. So you're just going through him. You're not going to win the ball. And he did that way too many times, I think, before. before uh, he, he did get a yellow card in the end, didn't he? I think. think so. Yeah. It was yeah, the ref let way too much go. But you know, I I did praise I did praise Luton there. But I I mean, come on, like their, their game plan was incredibly rudimentary. Like every time the ball went back to the defenders, it would go back to the keeper. The keeper would knock it long, they'd play for second balls, they'd play for set pieces. Um, but it worked, which actually makes me quite upset and angry as an Arsenal fan because the fact that we allowed them to score from From those few opportunities that they made was frustrating, but you no know, you, I'm just saying credit to them because just look at the disparity of finances, look at you know um how, look how much they've spent even compared to the, like the likes of Burnley like they they really have got you know a really really low low budget um compared to us, so we should be beating them so that's that's why I give them credit but um but yeah, I mean some of the decisions
0: uh Gabrielle as well I mean, yeah agreed wow. agreed wow. it was like a bit of a throwback wasn't it it was like going to Stoke yeah. away like 8 to 10 years yeah. ago that's what it felt like to me um the crowd were on our backs everybody was against us all the rest of it i know we conceded some some soft goals based on the defensive standards that we've set this season but i do think that at the very least we we stood up to the physical battle and we didn't allow ourselves to be bullied in the way that teams of of previous years would have been in a situation and under circumstances like that. So I guess that's the positive. Um, We'll come on to talk a little bit about the season so far. We'll talk a little bit about the Celebration Police. I know you've got quite a bit, uh, a big bit that you want to say on that. We'll talk Gabriel Jesus as well, because I still remember before we signed him, you coming on this podcast and saying that he would be the one for you. Um, So uh, are you still feeling that way? We'll get into that. We'll talk Declan Rice as well. We'll even touch on the goalkeeping debate. I've said my bit on it, but I want to get Mike's take on that. Um, we're going to talk Kai Havertz um, as our kind of main feature of this episode, because I think he's finally arrived as an Arsenal player. I think it's taken a bit of time. I think he's needed um, a, a sort of adaptation period to understand fully what he was being tasked with doing in this team to understand the role, to to make those connections, build those bridges with his teammates. But it feels to me like he is here now and showing everybody the reasons that Mikel arteta was so keen to get him that he was willing to push the boat out to around about 65 million pounds from what we understand so first of all mike kai havertz are you having him
1: yeah of course i mean how can you not the last like and i think uh, i've uh, i'm not sure what what your take was before the last four games um but i'm someone that that backed him i think you know the the quality is clear um the application the positional stuff we can we can all talk about um and and can be debated but i think just purely based on quality i'd seen enough before he joined arsenal to to know that with the right coaching with the right plan um and with the right development that he could you know flourish and i think i think that's happening now i think there's still things that that need to be ironed out um but you know I, for for example just how difficult a task it is coming into a Mikel Arteta side. I mean, cast my mind back to Gabriel Martinelli, him having a really tough time in, in the in the team, early days of Arteta. And it's because Martinelli was a kind of, you know, traditional winger where he'd get his head down, try and beat a man and, and get a cross in. The adaptation period for him to realize how much more he had to do for the team and on the ball um was clear. Um and I think the the same is happening with, with Havertz. And we had um Jorginho on Uh, the athletic podcast uh, this earlier this week, actually. Um, And he was just talking about how detailed Arteta is. And he said that, you know, for pretty much everything that happens on the pitch, Arteta has a plan for it. Um, And, and, and he was saying like, um, Ayo, who's the host said, you know, there's, like how how much how much detail we talking, and it, and he said you know this literally every scenario, and that that gives me a headache. And he was like, "How do you sleep at night thinking of every scenario that that could happen in a, in a football match?" um And you know it's that level of detail and and, and that level of coaching that obviously takes time. Um, and I think the thing with Habert's Habits Harry from like an outside perspective, you you look at him and he's got he's got the bit of the of the Ozil in him in terms of he's a bit laxadysical. Um, doesn't doesn't seem to, to run as much off the ball, I think. Um and these are the kind of lazy criticisms that we get into with sort of more luxury players, I guess you can you can call them, players that don't necessarily have a defined position, um mm-hmm. like like Havertz didn't have previously, but I think he's he's getting to know that now. Um so I think you just sometimes you've got to look a little bit deeper beyond you know no goals and, and no assists and analyze things. A little bit further but yeah i uh, i'm I'm really having him
0: yeah I, I mean to clarify for your benefit what my position was at the beginning it was back in back in back in support him i did have a couple of wobbles, not where i was saying you know get him out why did we sign him waste the money or anything like that and and the chat will will back me up on that but i did have a couple of times where i'd come away from a game and said we kind of need to chat about where Kai Havertz fits in the picture because it felt to me like we'd brought in this immensely talented young man, and he is a young man. He's just 24 years old. I think people overlook that. And we've tried to shoehorn him into a system that I'm not sure works for him. I remember when we got wind of the fact that Mikel Arteta was intending to use him as a midfielder. And I remember thinking, that can't be right. Like that, that can't be right. Surely someone's got the wrong end of the stick here and that actually he's coming in to play as somebody that can play anywhere, essentially across our front line, maybe in the Odegaard role in his absence. But I just, I couldn't get my head around that. And at the beginning, to me, it wasn't really working. You know, he was in this limbo. He was not involved enough in the forward play because obviously he was concerned about leaving holes defensively. But you could clearly see that, you know, that's where he wanted to be in those more advanced positions. You look at him today and I see a player that has finally found the balance between what's required of him in an attacking sense, but also in terms of his positional responsibilities as a midfielder, because he does get up really close to Gabriel Jesus. At times now, you'll see him drop, uh, you'll see him push up, sorry, and Jesus drop deeper so that Arsenal can go that little bit more direct and use his height as a bit of a weapon. So I think, You know, it's finally starting to click with Kai Havertz and I'm really, really enjoying him, watching him, you know, not just sort of playing well, but scoring goals and contributing as well because that's all people look at, unfortunately. And I think that there were signs that this was coming a few weeks ago. The level of performance started to improve. And then, you know, you were just hoping that that missing piece would come, the goals, the assists. And he's got three goals now in his last three starts. So for me, he's turned those performances into outputs as well and and i just think you know given his physical profile and all the rest of the things that we're going to discuss i just think this was a really clever buy i think we paid probably slightly over the odds but i accept that that's going to happen when you're trying to buy from a rival
1: yeah no 100% i agree with with a lot of what you said and like just to be honest there there were times where i wavered as well and i thought how does he fit in there was a game um against Burnley at home um and before the game I said right this is it this is where he turns it around because you know it's Burnley they were around the bottom of the table at, at at the time as they still are now and I said you know this is this is his time and there was a there was a t- there was a moment in that game where he was almost through on goal I don't know if you remember and instead of sort of driving towards goal and having a shot he he passed it to to Trossard I think it was and I was like man like Kai, this is your time. Like you need to take these opportunities. He'd also had a header in that game, I think, that he that that he missed. But I think what it is, and um where I can really credit him, is that Arteta didn't stick with him. He did drop him. Like people forget that. He did say, you know, this is not working. We need to try something else. You know, he's played, he's played Trossard in that eight position. Uh, he's moved Rice to number eight, he's played Jorginho as the number six. He's tried different things. So for Haberts to sort of um be the 65 million pound signing and and react so well to being benched I think is testament to his character. Um and you know we we all know we all knew the quality was there. He's a player who scored a goal in a Champions League final for God's sake. Like he is obviously a quality player. But I just think there's certain things that, that weren't quite happening. Um, and I think now he's really doing what he was brought to do, which is to be that sort of dual 10 in possession with Odegaard and as you say go beyond and, and, and get into the box and score goals as well. But and yeah, as you say, vital contributions. Like if he doesn't get that winner against Brentford, like that's a you know, that's dropped points. And you know, it might not seem like much, but the opener against lot like Lons yeah, sets the exactly. pace. You know, these are important goals. The the goal yesterday, um, you know, we'd gone Two one down, I think, was his goal. The or was it three three? His goal. I think it was three three actually. Um, you know, these are important goals because we bounced straight yeah, back. Yeah, we we bounced straight back. And that's important because if Luton had a had a time where where they were ahead for, for a while, I think that game looks a bit different. Um, because we're getting frustrated and we, we need two goals to to win the game. So the fact that he bounced back straight away is is brilliant. Um and yeah, I mean, I really like him um and I hope he can just continue to to improve and he's not going to start every game but that's not necessarily a bad thing I think he's almost like a bit of a finisher like you sort of bring him on and he can he can go up front he can add you know some some height as you say um and I think actually that kind of height and aerial ability ties in with the the David Raya signing um because David Raya's strength for one of his strengths is is he's kicking um, so the fact that he's got a consistent target there to to find is not, you know, it's it's done by design. Um, so, yeah, here's
0: one for you. So do you think that when we looked at the signing of, uh, of Kai Havertz, the problem was that we were looking at it as a standalone acquisition rather than looking at the bigger picture, which was that we bought Declan Rice in, which meant that we could be a little bit more adventurous with the position of our two eights because of how good Declan Rice is, and therefore Kai Havertz fit the bill. you know. Because one of the things that I kept saying at that time was, we've just lost Granit Xhaka and we've brought in a player that is completely different in terms of his profile and mentality. And that's what I couldn't get my head around. But should we have, looking back at it in with hindsight, gone, well, Mikel is bringing in Declan Rice, which means that he'll be able to commit those two eights, that little bit more further forward, even push one up as a second striker at times because of the extra ability that we have in Declan Rice and his ability to cover ground and all the rest of it. Should we have looked at it that way? Because the more I think about this, I'm starting to think that this was a signing that was made because we had another signing coming in that was going to allow us to utilize this one rather than it being a standalone acquisition of a player. To fit in one specific role, rather than it just being a like for like, Havertz for Jacker.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I don't think Havertz in this team last year um can do what what he does um because you know going forward in that in that position when you're pushing you know five players up when you've got the the front three and Odegaard and Havertz, you need someone like Declan Rice to be able to cover that ground, and you know he's he's another one who's been absolutely sensational. But yeah, I think you're right. But I think the the wider point, Harry is that Arsenal fans after all this time and what Ateta has done still don't trust him. Um, and I'm not saying you need to blindly follow someone um, because then we get into, like, cult territory, uh, yeah. which, you know, we've, we've spoken about before on many occasions. Uh, but I think he's got so much credit in the bank with the current hierarchy right now, with the recruitment staff, Edu, uh, all of all of them guys to say, you know, he saw something in Havertz that he wanted to add to the team. Um, I think the tough thing for, for Havertz as well was replacing Xhaka, because Xhaka is a player who was much maligned over his Arsenal career, but in his last season, everyone loved him. So it was a really difficult job to to, to come in and, you know, he's not replacing him like for like because they're very different players, but he was playing in the same position. Um, so we have to consider that as well, but um, yeah, absolutely. And I think he can Havertz can add even more to his game um, because sometimes I, I do watch him, and I think he is a little bit sloppy with the ball. Like I've got some some stats for you um, soon yeah, as go well, which I, which I go can read out. Really yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, so so I've got these stats from a website called FBRF, which is uh, which is really good. Um, so the the ones I'm going to read out now are uh, this season in the Premier League versus other midfielders, which is important because. It's hard to categorize Habert sometimes, but I think m- most of all he lines up in midfield. That's key um, though, isn't it? Because yeah.
0: for the beginning of his Arsenal career, the first few weeks we were going, there's no goals, there's no assists. But actually, you're talking about a midfield player here, not a striker. So you yeah. need to you need to remember that. And you and you're right to have compared yeah. him to those players. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yeah, so um the way it works is that uh, they do it in terms of percentile. So for example, Habert's his non-penalty XG um is 0.27 which ranks him in the 98 percentile meaning that only two percent of players have better stats than him in, in that area so i'll just do it that way um so yeah non penalty xg 0.27 again that's 98 percent uh non-penalty goals um 0.22 87 um assists slightly down 67 67th percentile for that um, but but we're talking about something that's really, really important, um, and something that a lot of midfielders don't do. So this is why he stands out. Touches in the attacking penalty area, so opposition's box, 99%. So there's only one percent of midfielders in the Premier League that are, that have better than that. That's an average of five point seven five per game. Wow. Which is amazing. Aerials won as well, 3.26 per 90, 98%. I mean, these are you know, these are really impressive things to be to be to be saying. Um defensively he's he's not too bad uh tackles in defensive third is way down four percent but that's because he plays higher up um but when you get to when you get to the middle third it's up at 84 at 1.3 per match uh tackles in the attacking third uh 0.5 or 84 percentile so you know these are things that i think could improve um but i think when you look at the stats they certainly paint a picture of a guy that um is doing a, a good job um, and even if that wasn't evident beforehand, before the goals, I think you can you can see it now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on. And uh, thanks for that. Um, and, and for doing the research, because um, yeah, I'm not very good at those percentile things. I, I struggle <laughs> with them. But just kind of looking at his Premier League performances as well, because in recent times, in terms of outputs, those have, have certainly, um, you know, improved. And, and I'm not going to go as in-depth as you have. But if I look at sort of the last, you know, I don't know, eight games in the Premier League. He's got three goals in those. Okay, one of them was was the penalty that we gave him at Bournemouth. But if you're judging a midfielder and he's got three goals in eight league games, that's by no means bad, is it? And this is a guy that during his time at Chelsea got 32 goals in 139 appearances, which for someone who apparently couldn't hit a barn door isn't bad. Um we all know that he's probably not an out and out center forward. So again You know, you've got to put the numbers up against that. If you look at his Leverkusen stats, it was pretty much one goal every three games for them. And he played in a variety of positions for the Bundesliga side as well. So the outputs are there now to go with, you know, the touches in the opposition box and everything. And that's what I think is converting the masses when it comes to Kai Havertz and whether or not uh, he's a good enough fit for Arsenal. I think there are a lot of players in football that go under the radar, that bring things to a team that for some reason, I don't know if people can't see or just refuse to see. Um, and the analysis can be really simplistic and basic at times. I mean, you take Gabriel Jesus, for example, and, and he's another player that I want to talk to you about, because as I mentioned at the top of the program, you were very big on the idea of signing Jesus before it actually happened. Uh, we sat down one day, we did a podcast where we kind of wrote down shopping lists, didn't we, of players that we'd hmm. like to see the team go for, and you you had him down. There's been some talk recently about him maybe not scoring enough goals. And I think partly that was fueled by the fact that he came out and said, you know, maybe it's not my speciality or whatever he did for Brazil on international duty. I feel like that got a little bit lost in translation. He's come out and, and clarified that since. But last night for me was an example of what. Gabriel Jesus is, right? He's someone that is intense all the time. He's someone that thinks quickly. He's someone that can score goals, but can also be one hell of a provider as well. And it's the overall package, isn't it, that appeals to Mikel Arteta. And I feel that when he's not in the side and Eddie Nketiah plays, who I think he's a good striker in his own right, but you see the difference in the cohesion of our forward line on the whole. And this is why this guy, for me, is just an unreal and outstanding player. What have you made of, A, the criticism that he's had in recent times and, and what did you make of his performance last night and, and more recently? I mean, I thought he was just, again,
1: unbelievable. And the last two games, really, I think he's, he's really stepped it up. Um, he just offers us something completely different, Harry. And I, I, was, I was saying to someone yesterday, I think <laughs> it sounds weird to say, but I think he's the best striker in the league who doesn't score. Um, <laughs> because, because he can he can do everything like he can literally do everything but goal scoring is is not his forte and like you know rival fans will, will listen to that and say you know I don't want to strike if they don't get you know 20 goals a season but I mean the, the the bare facts of that Jesus will not do that but what he offers to our team in terms of link-up play in terms of you know like aerial ability as well. The guy's not six foot two, but he wins so many duels in the air because he's just so strong and so determined to 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 win them. Like the the assist for for Havertz was just like typical Jesus. Like he just backs into his defender, touches it down, you know, pops a little a little baller over the top for, for Havertz to basically tap it in, and that that is what he does. I think his best quality is he makes the players around him better. And I, I remember. Um, earlier in the season or when we did our pre-season uh, our season preview, sorry, we spoke yeah. about how he would get the best out of Martinelli. Um, and I think he's 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 done that. Maybe it's not showed as much this season, but last season for sure. Um, his link-up play is, uh, is, is completely out of this world. And yes, yeah, someone made the point in the chat that he got 8.9 rating last night. Uh, he was man of the match according to a lot of uh, statistical pages. Um, but yeah, I mean... For me, Harry, I think it doesn't really bother me that he's not going to get 20 goals a season if he's making other players better and allowing other players to to score. I saw a stat that um, his goal at 2-1 meant that 11 different players had scored Arsenal's previous 11 goals in the Premier League. So it just yeah. shows that we're sharing the goals around. And this whole thing about we need a goal scorer, um, I mean, of course it'll be nice. Like No one's going to say no. Like if, if Erling Haaland turns up at your door, you're not going to say, no, sorry, Erling, we've got Jesus. But it's it's not realistic and I think we can cope well enough with, without that.
0: And I think, yeah, I think it's important as well not to be reliant on one man for your goals and I think the unique position that Manchester City are in is that even without Erling Haaland they've got so much talent that they can still score goals etc, cetera, etc cetera. but for most teams if you build your entire model and game around one guy and that one guy becomes unavailable you have a big problem. We saw it not that long ago when we were heavily reliant on Alexis Sanchez. You go back even further, we had a time where we were overly reliant on Robin Van Persie. There was a time where we were overly reliant on Emmanuel Adebayor for goals. So you can get into that position. And while that player looks great and comes off, you know, with, with all the, the stardust and all the rest of it it, it, it it isn't the way to go. I think if you can facilitate the effectiveness of a Saka, of a Martinelli, of Odegaard, of Habert that can actually be more powerful um, than having that one man who, you know, all your hopes rest on every single week. And when he has an off day or is unavailable, you're basically up shit street. So I quite like the way we do it now and and the way, um, you know, we're we're moving forward. And Russ makes a good point in the comments. He says everyone thought that Spurs would struggle without Kane. You know, people would argue that as an attacking force, maybe Spurs, I'm not going to say are better because Harry Kane, You know, he's a a brilliant player. I can say that now that he doesn't play for that lot, but it's (laughs) it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes removing that one player that is the focal point all of the time can open the door for others to thrive and and go on to different levels, which is always a good thing as a manager. You always want to have multiple players, don't you? that are threatening and causing people problems. Um, We're going to take a really, really, really short pause. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Celebration Police. We'll talk about Declan Rice. And we'll get Mike's thoughts on Arsenal's season so far. We'll also take a few of your questions before we go. So if you've got any good ones, start getting them in the chat. Put a little cue next to them and I'll favourite them and come back to them towards the end of the show. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined by the brilliant Mike Stavro. It's been a long time, Mike. I mean, you've been doing some amazing things. Um, You've been uh, on podcasts and and working on podcasts that have won awards. You've you've been smashing it. I mean, it's only fair that you you tell everyone what you've been up to and where you've been and how they can follow you and all the rest of it. So uh, the floor is yours, my friend.
1: Yeah, no, thank you, Harry. Yeah, it's been a it's been a really great year. I've been uh, at the Athletic for over a year now. I've got to do some incredible stuff. When I first joined, we did a uh, we did a podcast on Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, which was you know hugely out of my my comfort zone to cover a, a, a team that uh, you know we're in a country that we're at war. But um, you know, I never thought that I'd be doing stuff like that. So the fact that I've got the opportunity to to do so is is amazing. And yeah, as you say, like um, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to cough here when I when I say the name of the, the team that I currently cover. At <laughs> Spurs. <clears throat> but yeah, um so so yeah, that podcast uh has, is has managed to win an award since I've been there. Um so you know nah, it's great fun. Um and I do also manage to, to to do the odd Arsenal podcast as well. Uh like I said, we had we had Jorginho in the studio the other day, which was fantastic. Um, yeah, if, if you if you haven't listened to that, I'd recommend any Arsenal fan to to listen to it because he really sort of opened up and spoke very honestly. A lot of players, and as you all know, Harry, you know, are very robotic because they're so yeah. media trained and careful what they say. But Jorginho is probably at the stage of his his career right now where he feels like you know he's he's thirty, thirty one, thirty two, um, and he can you know he's he, he's been for it all. He's not he's not too bothered about what he's going to say, but he's also a very very smart guy, so he's never going to. You know get himself in trouble and anything like that but yeah it was a really really great interview but yeah thank you for the shout out appreciate it
0: no, all good mate I, I did listen to the georginio podcast this morning and i really really enjoyed it um so i can vouch for how good that is as well make sure you go over and check it out right let's uh, talk a little bit about the uh, celebration police who used to just be uh, a group of people online that would moan and complain and whinge every time Arsenal would celebrate a victory or a goal. However, it seems to have extended now into the PGMOL because Mikel Arteta was booked yesterday for, and I quote, over-celebrating. I said this on the episode that I did earlier today. I I looked at the referee after the goal, so in the aftermath of the goal. and, And where I was on the gantry at Kenilworth Road, you're literally hanging over the touchline, right? So you can't see the dugout. You need to lean forward and look down. Um, my focus was on the goal. My focus was on the away end, the supporters, the player celebrations, all the rest of it. And I see the referee at the corner of my eye coming over with a yellow card. And I thought, classic Arteta. He must have done something. He must have crossed the line because it's Mikel Arteta. He must have, you know, gone too far. He must have had a little run towards Rob Edwards or or something like that. I don't know. And then I got home and I watched it back. And I thought, well, then surely there's something that he's done off camera that I haven't seen. And I've spent all day looking and trying to figure it out. And I just can't work out what exactly Mikel Arteta is booked for. Not only that, the Luton fans inside the stadium and a lot of the people that were covering the game that were not of an Arsenal persuasion seemed to be irritated by the way that Arsenal celebrated the winning goal. Look at them. They're celebrating as if they've won the league and all the rest of it. I mean, aren't you just sick of all this crap, man? Like, you're not allowed to enjoy football anymore. Is, Is that where we are?
1: Yeah, I mean, look just going to a a base level the world is is a tough place life is hard Uh, football is escapism for for a lot of us we we watch it we pour our hearts into it and you and me harry we do it for our jobs as well so not only is it you know when we when we go to a game or when we you know uh doing a podcast or whatever we're doing that is our job but then we go and watch the football and we and we we live it all again. Um and we talk about it afterwards in our group chats and we get stick from, from rival fans and we have to so we it's basically a 24 hour thing for us, um that, that that we live through. So the fact that when we go for a game like that, which was mad as we discussed earlier, um, you know, against a team that we, let's be honest, expected to beat quite comfortably. Um, and when we gift them three goals, I, I think to to come back and still win that game is uh, a huge release, and that's for us fans. Like that, that's us watching it on the TV or in the stadium or wherever it is. Imagine like how much that is intensified for the players on the pitch. Who, you know, because we're competing against Man City, who are this you know gargantuan team with with all this money to spend. Um, and you basically can't slip up ever, the fact that they've overcome this and uh, managed to get three points, like, of course you're going to be emotional. Of course you're going to enjoy it. So I think the fact that rival fans, whoever it is, are are telling us you're over-celebrating, I think that's crazy. Like, just let us please have this thing. And I think maybe it's a thing with, with Arsenal that because we have been a banter club and we're actually good now, they're trying to look for stuff to to criticise us. I mean, that's how I feel anyway.
0: Yeah, I feel the same. I feel the same. I think that, you know, there were moments last season that even though we didn't win the league and even though it kind of all went a little bit to pot at the end of the campaign and that was really, really difficult to take, I think, the way it kind of all unravelled. There are still moments that we produced as a team and we got to enjoy as fans last season that will be unforgettable. You know, the Reese Nelson moment against Bournemouth, that will go down With us, Arsenal fans that were there, that lived and breathed it, that watched it on TV, everybody will remember where they were when Rhys Nelson scored that goal and how they celebrated it. You know, I go back to Andre Arshavin scoring that goal against Barcelona. The reaction that we had inside the Emirates that day, we didn't go on and win the Champions League or anything. You know, you think about the Danny Welbeck goal against Leicester City when we thought we were going to win the league. And in the end, we didn't. But those moments live with you as a fan. So you should embrace them. You should enjoy them. And nobody's saying at the start of December that Arsenal have won the league. In fact, the noise is coming from people that say Arsenal are the favourites. They're not coming from us. They're coming from the outside. They're coming from people that, in my opinion, still haven't learned their lesson about Manchester City and what they're capable of doing in the second half of any given season. So, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that Arsenal are going to win the league. I think we've got a chance and I'd love to see us do it, of course. And I'd love to see us go all the way in the Champions League but you just got to enjoy and embrace these moments. And I think it's wild that Mikel Arteta has been booked for celebrating because when you watch the celebration and listen, I'll take my Arsenal hat off, not literally because I badly need a haircut, but (laughs) you know, you, when, when you watch that back, I can't see a thing that he's done that has, that has crossed the line and is worthy of a yellow card. And I think we're in this really dangerous space now of, because everybody's quite immature around football, and it's like, well, he done this. Why has not he been? But like, for example, I've seen going around today a, a video of Roberto De Zerbi when he ran on the pitch at Nottingham Forest celebrating, and people saying, well, why didn't does you know why isn't De Zerbi been booked and 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 all of the rest of it. And obviously, people are upset because Arteta's going to miss the Villa game now. He's going to be in the stands as a result of picking up his third booking. But I don't think any of them warrant a yellow card. Like, that, that, and that's the point. I, I yeah. think we're trying to sanitise a game that is built on emotion. We've already done that to a degree, Mike, with VAR and the way that we delay giving or disallowing certain goals. And and I can accept that because I think that has a a massive impact on the outcome of games. And I want football to be fair. So I can accept conceding a little bit on that side, but I can't accept us booking people for celebrating a 97th-minute winner. It's just just wild.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to, uh, like... Are the are the grounds for the booking because he left his technical area? Like it's not gonna, he's not being booked for celebrating. I'm I'm just talking about like rules wise. He's not being booked for celebrating. He's been, being booked because he was outside of his technical area during the game, right?
0: I, I'm assuming so. I don't think yeah. there's been any clarity on that. I think Football London put out a piece earlier where they said just they just said over celebrating. Um, so, yeah. See. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I think look with all these things, you can have rules, but then you have to apply context, and I think. With a situation where, as we said, it was an emotional game. Arteta has, you know, put a lot of work into this game himself. Just from all the gesticulating and running up and down the touchline, he does. He's he's emotional too. Like you, you have to allow him that. And the fact that it has led to a ban and he's not going to be on the on the touchline for Villa is just I don't know. It makes me crazy. It, it it really does because we're we're saying basically with that, um, if your team score last minute winner. You can't celebrate. That's basically what you're saying. What you meant to do, do it like you know, a little fist pump or you know, hug hug an assistant, and that, that's the most you can do. I mean, what we and the people just going back to the to the players briefly. I mean, uh, I was I was having a conversation with a, with a mate of mine, and he was saying, "Oh, you're you're over celebrating, and you're not won anything yet." And like, firstly, does that mean you can only celebrate once you've won the league? That means we basically can't celebrate until you know May. Everyone we, should remain silent do. during all yeah. goals, and and also like, what if the players didn't celebrate? I think we'd be criticizing them more because it's like, you know, you, they'd they'd look arrogant if they didn't celebrate. They'd just be like, "Oh yes, yeah, Luton, we've only scored in the in the in the ninety fifth minute, whatever it is, and we're not going to celebrate." So like, there's just no logic and no a- appreciation, and especially someone made the point in the chat like, we we live through some some tough times of Arsenal, like watching that. That, that Wenger team dissipate and then the the sort of 10 tough years that followed and all of the toxicity within the fan base. I mean, we don't have to go that far back, Harry, to to see, you know, how toxic Arsenal fans were to each other. Um, the fact that it's not happening now and the sort of atmosphere and the culture around the club is so improved is, is testament to us. And we don't want to get back to that stage where, you know, where... We can't celebrate, and I don't know. It really does like really wind me up, and I I just wish that that fans would just like take off those rose tinted glasses for a second and just say, you know, if this was my team, I would celebrate, and like just have a bit of context.
0: Yeah, and and that's the problem with a lot of the VAR debates as well. I've I've said this for a long time that until we put tribalism to one side, we're not really going to inflict any change with these matters because you're always going to get this what aboutery and what about us and what about them and he did this and I did that and it's just it becomes a bit of a joke doesn't it football's just not mature enough unfortunately to fix a lot of these issues and if we don't fix them we're going to end up in a place where I think people are going to start to lose love for the game I really do like as a you know as a 30 something year old I love football because I've loved it growing up and I don't think I'll ever be able to turn off from it but I think if I were a young kid growing up now, watching football, there would be elements of it that would put me off. And that would never have been the case 15, 20 years ago. So yeah, it's um, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough one. Um, I do want to get your take, Mike, on this Raya Ramsdale thing. Um, You know, we haven't spoken about this all season. I think that Raya is clearly the number one now. I don't think that's debatable, at least in Mikel Arteta's head. But we saw David Raya make two costly errors yesterday. Thankfully, his teammates bailed him out in the end. But should Mikel Arteta now be considering making a change ahead of Saturday? Or does he stick with David Raya? Because I'm quite conflicted on this. I think that people have been saying that what Arteta's has done is created this environment where they're both scared to make a mistake and that's impacted their performances. Yet now as fans, a lot of us are saying, well, one of them made a mistake at the, uh, on Monday night, on Tuesday night, so he should be dropped now. So it's like we're calling for the thing that we're criticizing. So I'm yeah. a bit confused about all of this. Where where are you on the Raya Ramsdale thing generally, and and where do you think um, you know Arteta goes now this weekend? Is it continue with Raya or is it go back to to Ramsdale maybe?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are, are confused, and, and I saw a uh, Clive from from Arsenal Vision say that you know usually I'm, I'm when I when I can see a situation I see it very clearly and he said I'm confused so the fact that he's confused and he's you know he's confused if Clive's all, confused <laughs> we're, we're all we're all done for um and I'm confused about the situation I, I think there there is an emotional element to it as well and because you know we have spoken on this podcast about um some of the signings that that we made and and we built this 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 core of players who who really you know put everything on the line for 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 the shirt, um, and Ramsdale was one of those. I think Ramsdale was part of the culture change at the club, um, and we all become hugely emotionally a- attached to him. And I think maybe sometimes that that blinds us a little bit. Um, but what what I would say is that I don't think there's a huge amount between them. I think Raya is um, you know statistically he's got a better he's better at shot stopping. Although looking at it last night, you you wouldn't have said that. You wouldn't have thought that, um, would you? He's he's kicking is marginally better. Um, I, I guess he's more composed on the ball, but judging by his first few games, you wouldn't have said that either. Um, so I think the the difference between them, yes, it might be a a slight upgrade uh, on on Ramsdale, but I think I think it was a difficult situation because Ramsdale was still at the club, um, and you were always going to have that thing where. One keeper makes mistakes. Your your manager's talking about subbing keepers. Your manager's talking about there's no number one. It just created a, for me a bit of a confused dialogue. Um, whereas if Arteta would have come out and said, "Riot is number one," I think fans would maybe be able to accept that. Look, I understand why he's not done that. I I, I completely
0: understand that. But you, um, you can't really, can you? Because it's, it's kind of like know. saying it's it's like can't. saying, "Well, Ramsdale it doesn't matter what you do, mate." like yeah you're not playing so where's the motivation for him to stay engaged and stuff and and the bit that I've really struggled with in this whole debate and this whole discussion throughout the course of the season so far is why people don't understand that why people feel that Mikel Arteta has to tell them the gospel truth he doesn't have to tell anybody his decision is the manager he can do whatever the hell he likes
1: yeah I mean what manager do you know that that turns up to a press conference and and tells you all of their secrets i mean it just it just doesn't work like that in terms of the substitution substitute i i, I don't think that can happen because i think you set a really dangerous precedent because if you drop Raya after that and then ramsdale comes in and, and make makes a mistake what happens then do you switch back the next game i mean we're, we're talking about fine margins because let's not forget ramsdale played against against brentford and you know, he he miskicked one which was cleared off the line he and then rubbish. He, he was rubbish, he, he threw it Andy into the ground, but he got but he got bailed out. And if, if 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 Raya didn't get bailed out, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, so I think it's it's fine margins, but when you when you make mistakes, it it happens. Um, but I think we just got to look at it as a whole. And you, you would say that over the last five six games, Raya has been fine, so we got to give him the. The benefit of the doubt, and I think yesterday, I mean, he generally has been good coming for crosses. There's been a few that he's been sort of caught under, but I think maybe that's a, an instruction to be more aggressive to catch crosses at, at the near post. But overall, I mean, the, the last five six games, I, I I don't think he's been bad. So I think we have got to calm down a little bit. If we're still in a situation in five six games, Harry, where he's made consistent mistakes, then maybe you you ask the question again. But for now, I you you have to stick with him.
0: Well, I think that he probably should stick with him. But I also don't think there's any chance that Mikel Arteta is going to change it on Saturday. Yeah, so it it feels like a bit of a moot point, but it is a debate that's propelled itself back to the top of everybody's agendas because of what we saw last night. Kenny uh, has been very critical of me in the comments uh, over the last couple of shows uh, with regards to my takes and views on this. He says, Harry, you are framing the question in a bizarre way. It wasn't a mistake. It was a series of mistakes. I don't know that I'd call two a series. Like, I I feel like you're stretching it by saying it's a series. I think he, he gets caught underneath the cross and he gets his positioning wrong. We analysed it on the show that we did earlier today with regards to what I think exactly, specifically David Raya got wrong there. And then he lets one go under his body because I think in the split second, he's got to make the decision as to whether or not he should be clearing with his foot or diving, he picks the wrong option, essentially. Um, you know, I agree with Mike. For now, and I've been thinking about this throughout the course of the day, I think you stick with with David Raya because you can't sit there and say, as I've already said, that this is all on Arteta for creating this environment where everybody's afraid to make a mistake and then drop people when they make a single mistake. Right? Yeah. I mean, or... yeah. Go, on, go on.
1: No, I was going to say, like, Arteta clearly thinks Raya is the better keeper. And yeah. it's just unfortunate for Ramsdale that that we didn't sell him because I I mean you know I don't know what goes on but behind the scenes at Arsenal but I don't think in my personal opinion that he wanted this situation I, I don't think he would because because of what we're talking about right now like this is not helpful and for, for me I'm just a bit sick of it like we, we can't constantly be after every game saying oh Ryas made a mistake he needs to be dropped oh Ramsdale's made a mistake this guy should never play for Arsenal again do, do you know what I mean so I think the, the the perfect scenario is just to say to Ramsdale look you want games before the Euros you can leave um on loan or permanent transfer wh- whatever it is and as sad as it is and as I said emotion is involved in it because we all love Ramsdale I think that's just what needs to happen
0: I I there's a comment from Hacker there who says Raya is a vanity project for Arteta getting rid of Raya Uh, will probably affect Arteta, in my opinion. I mean, I I, like. when are we going to get to the point where we just look at Mikel Arteta and say, overall, he's done a really good job of getting Arsenal back into a place where they're competing for a Premier League title to the point where a lot of us are expecting Arsenal to go on and win the Premier League, which was unthinkable five years ago, um, and just trust him that there's obviously something that he sees. I mean, I'll ask you this question, Mike, because I've already answered it over the last few weeks, but. Do you think that David Raya generally, although he's he's made a couple of mistakes and had a few moments, do you think that generally he brings more calm to the back line?
1: I mean, it's hard to say because it's been a it's been a small sample size. Um, but I think in the first few games he really struggled. But I think a lot of keepers would struggle coming into a coming into a new team and especially with the, the situation that's gone on with, with Ramsdale being there as well. Um, but in in the games following Bar last night, I think he he has generally been been good on the ball and he and he and he's been calm. If we compare that to a bigger sample size with Ramsdale. I think he had the ability to chuck one into the back of his own net by you know loose touches. Uh, he's kicking not quite being right, um, making the wrong decision, passing. And I remember Ramsdale making a lot of passes through two defenders that sometimes didn't come off. Um, and and that's even before we get to the 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 saving situation where even though Ramsdale did make some incredible saves he also let a lot of soft goals in i remember even like even against diogo jota i think he let in about 3 or 4 across the span of 2 3 games um so i think he's an upgrade i it, it might be minimal um but i think in terms of how how we want to play it's a it's a move in the, in the right direction. And I just think this whole situation has been exacerbated by, by Ramsdale still being there basically. And I think if he wasn't there, this wouldn't be a conversation at
0: all. Yeah, totally agree. I think for me, we're not helping the situation either as fans, as podcasters, by kind of constantly bringing it into the conversation and, and bringing it under the spotlight, but it is something that fans are talking about. And I, and I feel like we do need to talk about it for that reason, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because I, I agree with with what you said earlier where you say that there's not much between them. I think there's a Rizla paper difference between the two of them. I think one is better at certain things. One is better at other things. And I think when you look at the overall picture, there is very little difference between the two of them. Therefore, you can't sit there and say that Mikel Arteta is 100% wrong and you can't say he's 100% right. And I think because of the credit he's got in the bank, you have to kind of sit back and go, right, I just have to trust that there is something. Think about the hysteria that was around Kai Havertz two weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and look at where we are now. Think about the hysteria there was when Odegaard came in and people were saying, no, 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 don't sign him on on a permanent deal. Go and get Emi Buendia. Do you remember that one? Go and get Emi Buendia. He'll be the answer. Remember Mm -hmm. when Gabriel came in and people said that he was too rash and he was an accident waiting to happen? He's turned out to be one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League, and that means in the world. There is a lot of examples of things where we've looked at them as fans and gone, I can't get my head around that. I can't work it out. And in time, we've been proven wrong. And that's why Mikel Arteta is the manager of Arsenal Football Club and we're sitting here. (laughs) Because we don't have that A, insight in terms of being with them every single day, but we also don't have that knowledge and understanding of the game. We just don't. Like... And I'm happy to put my hands up and say that. And I don't know why more fans aren't happy to put their hands up and say that. Um, But anyway, let's um, take a couple of your (laughs) questions. Yard Guttner says, uh, Harry, what do you know about Rizzler paper? I was young once, my friend. Um, Let's, uh, let's get uh, some of your questions through. Uh, We'll pick out a couple before we go, but just before uh, we do that, give you a chance to fill up the chat box. Uh, Mike Declan Rice. I mean, I'm running out of superlatives for this guy, and he's—he's—he's it's, it's, not even been at the club a long time yet. Yeah, I can think already of a handful of examples of match-changing, match-winning performances, and—and and obviously big moments. I mean,
1: Harry, I've like this will be shocking news to you, but I've not always been right about everything. Even though, I, even though I did call Gabriel Jesus when when Declan Rice was in the early days at West Ham and he started out as a as a centre back. I remember he did he score his first West Ham goal against us. Maybe he scored one of his one of his that. first senior goals was it when, was against us when he was playing at centre back and then and then when he moved into midfield I kind of I was a bit I I, I liked his industry um, I thought he, he worked really hard but his quality on the ball I was never really sure of and man have I been proved wrong like the guy is an absolute machine off the ball um, as you said like he earlier he makes up for you know, having five attackers in the team because he does the job of, of two players. He's basically a double pivot in one because he can cover so much ground. Um, his anticipation, um, the way he, he never really dives in without calls. Like every time he dives in, he gets the he gets the ball. Um, so the, yeah, the guy off the ball is a monster, but on the ball, um, his passing range is amazing. I mean, like how many things can you say about him? His passing is incredible. He's 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 got a good shooting technique. Um, his best quality, I think, which we haven't seen loads of because we've been playing against so many low blocks, is driving with the ball. And it's such a you know underrated quality, I think, and something that's so important that that when you're playing teams that you, and you need to break the lines, he does that not with passing but with with his driving play as well. Um, yeah, he's just and also he's just so Arsenal and like coming from West Ham, I would have thought you know. I'm not really sure, you know how is he going to how is he going to fit in, but he's you just thought so he Arsenal. Was too
0: West Ham for us. I dude. thought
1: he was too West Ham, but he's so Arsenal with and also like it is kind of funny um seeing a few tweets of of West Ham fans last night saying oh Arsenal better win the league now or well, Declan Rice going there was was a waste. It's like okay. They they're, 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 so so, they're so they're salty, so salty, aren't they? Yeah. They're so salty, which is which is enjoyable as well. I mean, if other if fans can tell us we can't celebrate Um, then we can have a laugh at them being incredibly salty. But yeah, man, what a a
0: player. What a player, indeed. Uh, Let's take a few questions then uh, just for the last three or four minutes of the show. We'll rattle through uh, some of these. Uh, Just quickly, Moss says, Harry, is Tomiyasu out for a while now or is it just a little injury? Uh, For those that didn't catch it, Mikel Arteta said in his press conference last night that a calf problem has shown up on the scan that he had and his words were he's he's probably going to be out for a while. So that's not good news at all. Not good news at all. He was, I think, playing the best football of his Arsenal career to date over the last few weeks. So it's a really big blow for us. And with Timber still out, you know, we we are a bit short in the defence. And, um, you know, with Timber, we couldn't see it coming. It was a brand new signing. Really, really unfortunate. With Tommy Asu, though, there have been a series of muscular injuries. And I think that, although I love the player, we're probably going to have to come up with a contingency plan in the not-too-distant future in order to protect ourselves against losing him because we can't be this thin um, defensively. Temi Ola says, thoughts on our loan players, especially Charlie Patino. We won't sit and go through all the loan players because obviously we're conscious of time, but Charlie Patino, Mike, does he have a future at Arsenal? Because as good as he's done at Swansea, I'm not sure that I can see it just yet.
1: Yeah, I mean... I've, I've got to be honest. I, I don't watch Swansea week in, week out. There's been there's been too much football. But whenever I've I've seen highlight reels, he look he looks good. But I saw someone say on Twitter um, that with the Swansea manager getting sacked, he wasn't particularly playing him. So maybe there's a chance with a new manager coming in, he might see the quality that he has and he he gets a bit more game time. But um, I mean, because it looked like at some point earlier this year, whether it was late last year that he was going to go, wasn't it? I think. Um, it, it looked like he was on the way out. So the fact that he's stuck around is 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 promising. Um, but you know, I just think the current iteration of Ars- Arsenal that we are right now, Harry, we don't have Europa League football. We don't really have anywhere to to play yeah, these guys, unfortunately. So you know, Charlie Patino, if he if he comes back next season, you know, having been in the in the Championship, a uh, division below, I mean, it's going to have to be unbelievable to to even get in an, an FA Cup or League Cup team. So. I mean, right now it looks
0: tough, although we'd, we'd obviously love it to happen. Uh, Creambone says, uh, Harry, Mike, what do you think last night's result will do to the mentality of the other title challengers? Now, we're recording this, what, two hours before uh, Liverpool and Manchester City are, are both in action? But I, I guess if we slightly reframe the question to, to protect it against time, I mean, do you think that what those teams saw us do and how? sort of deep we were able to dig in the end will have any sort of impact on on them watching on
1: um I wouldn't say in 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 this sort of game because I think it's a game that we that we should have won um but for individual errors I mean as, as I said earlier Luton would you know gave a good account of themselves given the 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 talent that they have but um you know should be beating Luton away considering that as I said they've gotten nine points from from 14 games um but I think the the important thing in 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 terms of our rivals is um and this is something I tweeted um I said just looking at the the sort of three games we had Brentford Wolves Luton um and City had Liverpool Spurs Villa and now you know City have dropped points in two of those and we've and we've won all three so we're making up ground, um, and as we've seen, we should maybe, be
0: though, shouldn't we? During this period, yeah. given the fixture, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 absolutely. And I, I think, I think more for us, like we need to build up as big an advantage as as we can. Because my one thing, and I know we've not got to discuss my sort of thoughts on the season, but I, I will say, like I've been impressed with us this season. I think we're, you know, everyone said we've got more control. We're defensively more solid, and maybe not as good going forward, but um, we're looking like a like much better title challenges because of you know we're, we're able to be calm and keep going in, in games and and still win games. Um but the the one thing that worries me Harry is that when we get to the latter stage of the season, can we see it through? Do we have that that mentality? Can we can we not crumble in the way that we have done in the recent past. And that's my 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 one big thing. Um, so yeah I mean we'll have to see about that. But you know, teams are scared of us. I think that's that's fair to say now that the banter era has, has left us and it's it's left us for a while. Yeah,
0: I, I agree with that. I think you're absolutely um, spot on with that. We'll take one more just really, really quickly. Um, uh, in fact, I'll take this one. Uh, TBG's one was uh, more of a... He says, who does Kai Havertz most remind you of? For me, it's Thomas Muller. I would have said Thomas Muller as well. So that's why I'm not going to go into that one in too much detail, because I think you're spot on in terms of his language, style, the areas that he occupies and all the rest of it. Um, Cesar says... Last night was really physical. We struggled last season with the physical aspect. Do you think we lose yesterday's match with last season's squad? So if you think about the differences, you're talking Kai Havertz, you're talking Declan Rice. So the question is, do you think that those two players were a part of why we were able to withstand a physical onslaught from Luton Town and in the end come out victorious with with all three points?
1: It's tough to say, isn't it? It's tough to say because we would have had a different keeper in goal as well so does Ramsdale make those mistakes I don't know um, but yeah I mean look Rice is the difference clearly isn't it and I mean we are kind of building a land of the Giants team aren't we like yeah, even our fullbacks are Giants yeah our fullbacks are Giants and to be, to, to be fair that was the I know we got to wrap up but I think that was the one thing that I was a little bit unsure of last night that Jakob Kivior I, I mean I wasn't totally convinced. And I thought we were so much better when Zinchenko came on. So I think that's maybe the one where we're like, I think Arteta was looking at that and, you know, smartly saying we need to be more physical, but we lost a lot of control without Zinchenko on the pitch.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that the timing of Zinchenko's introduction was right because the game was in a state where we needed to go on and win it. And you felt like Luton were going to sink deeper and deeper at that point. And therefore you want that player, don't you? That's got that little bit more guile and creativity. But I do think that had Asu been fit, he'd have played at left-back and we wouldn't have been, I don't want to say as bad, because I don't think we were bad. But I think that had Tomiyasu played at left-back, nobody really would have asked any questions of that in the way that they asked questions of, of Kivi or playing there. So I think, again, that's a consequence of being without the Japanese international. But anyway, uh, we are going to leave it there. We've been going for over the hour. Um, Mike michael i'm going to call you i bet the only person that calls you michael is your mother um michael thank you very very much for joining me really really appreciate it let people know how they can follow you. and also let people know when your next going to be back on so that you can commit to it and we can make sure <laughs> that it happens
1: i would i would love to do it every week because i think there there has been a massive gap in my in my sort of life where i can't chat shit to you and, and other people about arsenal <laughs> like it's a real it's a real like form of therapy i think like because when, when you have all, all those thoughts kind of built up and these frustrations and you know like thank you for letting me rant about the celebration police thing because otherwise um, yeah that would have made me even <laughs> more been angry. doing it
0: at work to a bunch of i would have been doing it at work. fallen on deaf ears <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly so yeah um yeah uh, i'm on twitter at mike underscore stabrew um yeah Tweet about Arsenal most of the time. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me back, mate. And yeah, very soon, hopefully I'll be back.
0: No, great to have you, man. Great to have you. Um We put a poll out at the top of the show. Are you now convinced Kai Havertz was a worthwhile signing? And 76% of you have said yes. Now that poll, I'm sure four weeks ago might have looked very, very different. So that's a testament to the German and how he's been able to kind of turn around the public opinion of him and long may it continue and uh, hopefully he can maintain uh, these performance levels we've only got 117 likes on the board which when you consider how many of you have been watching throughout is just not good enough so please do leave a like on your way out subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already and if you're listening on audio please do leave us a review you've been listening to the chronicles of aguna podcast we'll be back tomorrow with more until then take care